talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. Only four more days until Canada heads to the polls. Easy, Dad. It's just an election, not a lottery win. Jeez. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted, Diana, and Lisa are in the newsroom. Will is on the board, and here's Scott Thompson. You know, now that he's recording these things, I think he's getting a little, you know, because I'm not here. He just sends it to me. Sends it to me from his classroom. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.07. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson and Ted and Diana and Will all here. Elisa uh, out on the road. And we'll talk to her later about some uh, big stories in the city that we're covering and get you an update on them. Uh, feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phones are always open. Facebook and Twitter via social media. Feel free to contact us there. Uh, the poll question of the day today. Uh, in regard to, uh, I guess, Hamilton's vaccine rate. And I I think this is a little deceiving because although we are where we are, it's not like we're really far behind. It is is relatively close. Uh, The poll question, are you surprised uh, to hear that Hamilton has the fewest uh, number of fully vaccinated residents in Ontario, one of the fewest? Uh, And, you know, again, a diverse population, much like Toronto. And and I think that uh, perhaps this is... Um, maybe a little misrepresenting. What are your thoughts on this, Diana? Because, again, uh, it, it is a situation where, uh, obviously, we need to do better. We need to get more people vaccinated. But we're not that far behind the national average, provincial average, are we? Uh, I don't think so. I mean... It is surprising, I think, but at the same time, I I hear a lot of stuff out there with regards to people not getting the vaccine, and I just, you know, obviously, uh, there's a lot of that here in Hamilton as well, unfortunately, so I'm not really surprised with the number, though, um, to be honest. You know, again, last push, it's hard to get everybody over. Are you surprised, Ted? Actually, what concerns me a little bit is the constant use of the word by politicians or by health professionals, we need to educate more education. It's been 17 months of this. If we're not educated now about what to do about the vaccine, what to put in your arm, and what good it is for you, then, you know, it, it's almost at the point, why bother? Yeah, you know, you, you have to you have to think if you're at the point where you're, you've got as many vaccinated or, or, you know, with the exception of a few uh, outstanding that haven't got uh, the full vaccination, how many more are you going to get? Uh, there's got to be a certain percentage of those people that just can't get it. And then those that are anti-vaxxers, they're not going to get it anyway. So, uh, again, it'll be interesting to see how how much farther we can take this. Uh, poll question of the day for yesterday, $750 fine uh, for those that don't comply. Uh, and 77% said that was too low. Here's the other story that I thought was very cool, and I want all of your thoughts on this. <laughs> SpaceX. You know, first of all, when the three millionaires or whoever they went up, everybody was like crapping all over them. Not that much of this this time, maybe because it's a huge fundraiser for St. Jude's. But uh, if somebody, if CHML paid the tab, <laughs> would you go up, Ted? Yep. <laughs> I have been an astronaut buff since I was a youngin. And I watched all the time, yeah. you know, when the, uh, when the astronauts would uh, take off and, you know, all the flights, the Mercury flights, the Gemini. This is before your time, of course. I remember Mer- getting, I remember being called in by our neighbors, by my buddy's uh, mother. Uh, we're all playing out in the street. So you got to come watch this. You got to come watch this. And we watched like the, that greenish color thing of the guys in the capsule. And I remember actually her calling us in to say we had to watch this. It was history being made. Which uh, flight was that? Um, I think it was landing on the moon. I believe it was the moon landing, yeah. Uh, so you were outside playing at 20 after 4 on a Sunday afternoon instead of well, watching history was, being maybe, made? You know? I don't know. <laughs> Or you I do. have no idea. Yeah, I well, was, I was, I was, I was well, quite a bit younger than when you, what you were, Ted. That's for sure. Well, I was uh, fourteen your, your at thoughts, the time. Diana, would you go up? Uh, you know what? No, I, I don't think I would. And and here's <laughs> you know and here's no, why. No, no, here's why. I love space exploration. I really do. I find it fascinating. Uh, might not be as much as a buff as Ted, but I, you know, watch the liftoffs. I watch all that. Outside of the coronavirus, I think you know. 
maybe that was a good thing. But now I just feel like we're, you know, we've, we've got problems here on this planet. Like, yep. why are we going to go out into outer space and mess up? God knows what kind of life is out there, you know? Like, let's you- just solves things here first and on then we'll note, go out on that note do you think this flight this flight doesn't seem to be getting the attention of the other three as far as or let me rephrase that the negative attention yeah. that the other three when the billionaires went up why, why do you think that is i think it's because like you said the, the the fundraising aspect i really do yep yeah all right will would you go yeah launch me <laughs> <laughs> will will's there now let's go yeah Oh man, uh, I I, th- I would go in a nanosecond. I think uh, I think it'd be one of those things. But I, you know, it, it's 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 very frightening to think uh, how far we've come in a very very short period of time, and people can actually go into some sort of capsule and have absolutely no or very little training and go up and do this. That to me is mind boggling. That's you can frightening. Do this all, yeah. You know, yeah, you can do this all at home by a joystick. I mean, it's just bizarre when you think about it uh, and how far we've come. I'm just uh, sitting here thinking, you say, you know, God knows what's out in, in outer space. Can you imagine if there was like a uh, a mini Ted out there just looking in on the Earth? Just, or like 50 Teds in like you know, parallel universes? Yeah, yeah, now that's a frightening Yabba-dabba-doo, the, the Flintstone one where they're all cloned and keep running after right, each other. Right, 50 Teds, can you imagine? No, can you we can't. imagine? We can't. No, we can't. Please stop, especially inside a space capsule. Yeah, could you even dear, think about God. that? Uh, speaking of toys, uh, and I don't know if we were, but uh, <laughs> Diana's got a cool feature coming up uh, talking about your favorite toy and those that have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. So we're going to talk about that uh, coming a little uh, later on. Favorite toy off the top of your head, Ted? Uh, I played a lot of sports, so like, I don't know, baseball or, you know, a hockey puck or something. So, you know, probably something like that. <laughs> the stick, a rock. You know, uh, uh, Diana, what are you, what, right off the top of your head. Uh, probably typical girl stuff. I played with Barbies a lot in the 80s, 90s. That was my Will man? Bag of glass. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> Send Will to space now. Remember Hot Wheels? Remember Hot Wheels? I loved Hot Wheels. I had every Hot Wheel thing you could uh, ever imagine. All right. That and some really serious stuff such as the election and, uh, man, quite a, a tumultuous 72 hours in the city. We'll talk about that coming up a little later on, too. All right. Obviously, uh, week 78, how many? Uh, I can't have you even keep track of all of this. It, it, you know, with with a pandemic and an election, it's hard to tell or is there five days left in the election or five days left in the pandemic? But it's all kind of confusing. Uh, that being said, uh, throughout this global pandemic, things have stayed uh, relatively stable when it uh, comes to uh, the Bank of Canada rate, inflation rate, that sort of thing. Um, and the, I guess in the last 24, 48 hours, news coming out how uh, inflation has gone up just over 4% uh, in this past uh, frame. So to talk more about this, Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeRoot School of Business, McMaster University, he is with us now. Marvin, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm great, thank you. And I, I should say ciao to you. Uh, this is the first time we've had a chance since I returned from a little vacation to Italy. And how was that? How was traveling? Traveling was fine. That, that wasn't the issue. Unfortunately, I chose to visit Italy in August when it is very, very hot there. So I, uh, there were a couple of days where I needed a siesta to survive it all. But wow. otherwise, it was lovely. And the tourism was down. It was very easy to see all the big things. And uh, they also have a green passport, if you will, or a vaccine passport. I don't have that, but I was able to show them my vaccination records along with my passport and that gave me access to everything so uh what you got from the pharmacy or your clinic way back uh when uh that was sufficient enough because obviously passports aren't out yet uh that was uh, that was enough to get you where you needed to be yeah i i be candid i wasn't exactly sure if they were able to read everything in english it wasn't obviously in italian but they were looking for the type of drug that i had astrazeneca right. two different shots they were looking for the dates of it and then they wanted to make sure with my passport my real honest to god passport that that receipt was mine. And once they were sure of that, I got ushered in just like everybody else. Now, as far as the country being open, was it, it were things limited for you as a tourist, or was it like any other uh, year in Italy? Or, or was there still many restrictions in place, things you couldn't get into? No, it wasn't, it wasn't overly difficult. The, the one COVID restriction that you would see at, at the major tourist attractions in Rome, so the Colosseum, 
the Vatican Museum, the Borghese Museum, was they were only letting in so many people per hour. And so you couldn't just walk up and get into many right. of these things. You needed to book a time slot. And, for instance, at some of the museums, they would say, okay, we're going to let in 200 people between 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock. But when 3 o'clock comes, you have to leave, so we let the next people in. But really, I didn't find any of that overly constraining. I just had to plan my days a little more than I might normally. Wow, that's good to hear. All right, let's get to inflation. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this was a concern, has been a concern all through the pandemic. Things have stayed re- relatively stable. What are your thoughts of these numbers we're hearing now? Right, so first, let's say what the number is. It was uh, 4.1% uh, for the month of August, and that is compared to August 2020. July was 3.7%, the month before that, 3.5%, and these are much higher than we're used to hearing. Now, the problem is, why are those numbers that way? And one of the funny things when we measure uh, inflation is we compare the prices in August 2021 to August 2020. What most people have not remembered, or at least have forgotten, is that in August 2020, we were actually facing negative inflations. Compared yeah. to August 2019, a number of prices were lower, brought on by a lack of demand and the general lockdown in the economy, So what we're seeing now are prices bouncing back to pre-COVID levels. Mm -hmm. I don't see this as real systemic inflation. I see this as a result of the bounce back. And don't take my word for it. The Bank of Canada, whose goal is to try to keep inflation at around 2%, you would think they would be jumping out of their shoes at 4%. Oh, my God, let's put the brakes on these things. But they're not reacting. And the reason they're not reacting is they remember what August 2020 was like. And they say, this is their belief, that in September and October, when we get those inflation numbers, it's going to come back down. It's going to come back down closer to that 2% level is really an artifact of what COVID was doing to our economy a year ago than anything that's runaway or wild inflation. But that's easy for me to say. It's easy for them to say. They do stand ready if they need to uh, slow the economy by raising interest rates, but they really don't see that in their crystal ball. They think this is going to be a self-correcting thing. So this is more of a level, uh, leveling out. When would it get to the point, what would have to trigger in order for them to be concerned? Well, staying at this level, that's the real thing. We believe that the August number will be the highest inflation number you see for the entire year, and then we think it's going to go back down and, and fairly quickly. Now, I can help you in another way, Scott. Uh, Stats Canada calculates inflation in two ways. The rate we just talked about, 4.1%, is what I like to call the all-in rate. But there's a second rate they calculate where they eliminate the most volatile aspects. Usually that's gasoline. That inflation rate was 3.2%, nearly one percentage point lower. And that's because gasoline, just in and of itself, is up 32.5% from one year to the next. And you would say, well, that not that a sign that they should jump in? 32.5%. But again, people forget that oil prices were dramatically yeah. depressed in the summer of 2020. Oil was trading at $45 a barrel. Today it's trading at a little over $70 a barrel. So the reason why gasoline prices have come up is the recovery in oil prices, not some other kind of runaway economic thing. But for the Bank of Canada, if this does not come down, so they're really gambling that when we see the September number, when we see the October number, it's going to come down. If it doesn't, then the days of low interest rates are going to be uh, ending, and they're going to start to raise those interest rates. But as it stands right now, they say don't worry about that, at least until the summer of 2022. And we remember gas prices during the first wave and such, uh, remember they're just under they were under a dollar a liter. Uh, now, of course, between 130 and 140. Also, when we chatted during the early stages of this pandemic, Marvin, many talked, especially the middle and latter part, many talked about the roaring 20s. Yep. Is that going to happen? Ah, uh, well, first, we, <laughs> yeah. so is it going to happen? I actually think the answer is yes. I think consumers have, have been sh- locked down, shut down for a year and a half, and when I give them the all clear and say, okay, you can go resume your life, I think we are going to be amazed at what they do. But here's problem number one. I don't know when I'm going to give them the all clear. Mm. I had hoped we might be there now, but clearly we're watching what some people are calling a fourth wave. We've seen what's going on in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, maybe not quite as bad here in Ontario, but there still is that fear that, well, uh, 
you know, if these numbers continue down that road, we have to lock down again. So I just don't quite know when we're going to say that. But to give you a different example, we were just talking about traveling. Uh, Air Canada and WestJet have been reporting that as they have reopened flights, they have filled up. That they're operating at nearly full capacity on the flights that they offer. So full, in fact, and you'll get a kick out of this, both Air Canada and WestJet have asked if there are any volunteers that might come in and help them deal with these passenger numbers. For instance, getting people to a gate via a wheelchair or giving answering questions in the thing. You think to yourself, well, if it's that strong, go and hire some people. Don't ask for volunteers. But it has bounced back just that fast. It's caught them all a little by surprise. I've heard anecdotally from those in the industry that uh, there is a vast shortage of employees right now, and the demand is very high. Uh, Marvin Ryder with us, professor at DeGroote School of Business, McMaster University, talking about the inflation rate. Marvin, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. I will be. Glad to chat with you. All right. It has been a violent 72 hours in Hamilton, capped off this morning with a shocking home invasion and a kidnapping in the Mount Hope area that has left one dead and two in hospital. Uh, reporter Lisa Pileski has been following the story and is with us now. Lisa, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, it's it's been just wild in Hamilton. A lot of violence and it's kind of scary. Uh, this latest situation almost sounds like it's out of a movie. Um, what more? First of all, let's talk with the, the two that are still alive. Anything more you can give us on, on their health and, and their condition at this point? So last we heard, the, the two sons who were shot at the home in Mount Hope early this morning, um, one of them unfortunately did die in hospital. Last we heard at about 10 this morning, um, Constable Indy Barrage of Hamilton Police told us that the other son was in the in critical condition going through surgery. We haven't heard an update since then. Um, and at that media conference at 10 a.m., uh, we were told that Hamilton police had found 63-year-old Fakir Ali, who had been abducted from the home in Mount Hope uh, earlier this morning. So six hours later, he was found in the area of Beach Boulevard, kind of near the lift bridge. They haven't said who found him or exactly where he was found. Um, they just said he suffered life-threatening injuries. Again, no word on the nature of those injuries but he is in hospital uh, fighting for his life at this point. And police at this point, all we know about um, suspects is that there are multiple suspects and uh, a dark SUV was involved, but there's really little to go on at this point in the investigation. All right, so uh, give us the story here. What happened uh, early in the morning, uh, SUV arrives on the on the scene. What What can you tell us? How did this go down? Yeah, it seems like I uh, there you know multiple suspects kind of usher they they pulled Farik uh, Fakir Ali into the SUV. Uh, the two sons in their twenties were shot. Um, we we really don't know a lot about what kind of happened in that six hours between when Ali was taken and when he was found in Beach Boulevard. The interesting thing that we're seeing we're learning a little bit more about this uh, Ali individual. He uh, has a website, a personal website, where it's kind of uh, he talks about his his uh, roles in the um, the Pakistani community in Ontario and Canada. He actually um, worked on Paul Martin and Stephen Harper's campaigns for prime minister, according to his website. Um, he helped with Patrick Brown's election uh, for mayor in Brampton. Um, so he has photos with these individuals on his website. So it, he's a very prominent person in, in you know, kind of politics and uh, the Pakistani community in Canada. But we don't know kind of why he would have been targeted for this particular horrible incident. And nobody in the house, none of the family members, known to police at all. There's no sort of no. background here whatsoever. No, police say none of them were were known to police. They they had no interactions prior. Um, we also don't know whether or not anyone else was home at the time. Police are being very tight lipped about that. They all they've said is that there were only three people injured in this uh, in this particular situation. The the two sons, one of whom has unfortunately passed away, and uh, Ali himself as well. Uh, obviously, you're, as you're saying, the home invasion happened overnight at about 3 a.m. And then this body, this victim was discovered on the street uh, just by the uh, by the Skyway Bridge, under the Skyway Bridge uh, hours later. Any idea how long he had been there or or any sort of timeline here? 
They haven't, they've really, really been tight-lipped about the investigation, really haven't said, you know, they haven't even said, you know, if it was police who found him or if it was, you know, kind of a passerby who spotted him or what kind of condition he was in. But they are asking for dash cam video from the Beach Boulevard area in around 9 a.m. this morning. So if anyone was driving on Beach Boulevard near the lift bridge at 9 a.m. If you have dash cam video, contact Hamilton police because they're looking for anything that will help in the investigation, figure out who's responsible for this. Are you expecting to hear more for from police? Is there any more uh, media conferences scheduled at this point? Not for today. I did ask uh, Constable Barrage earlier if there was going to be another update today. He couldn't tell me anything. He said it's just too early in the investigation and we'll just have to wait and see uh, how surgery goes and how the um, how the investigation goes and whether or not people are able to come forward with kind of video that will help them track down suspects. Unbelievable. Lisa Pulaski with us uh, on the street reporter with Global News Radio 900 CHML and following the story of a violent, uh, shocking home invasion and kidnapping in Mount Hope that has left one dead and two in hospital. Lisa, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks very much. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Four days left in the election. I know you're going, phew. Now if we could just say the same thing in regard to a global pandemic, we'd be great. Uh, but with days, four days left in the campaign and advanced polls are now closed. The leaders have been changing tactics and making last minute impressions in what has become an incredibly close race. And it's pretty safe to say the gloves are off. Let's bring in uh, Liviana Tasudo, or sorry, Liviana Tasudi, professor of political science, Brock University, and is with us now. Liviana, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so your thoughts on what we have seen so far in an election that the majority didn't want. We've got about four days left. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are the issues? What stands out for you in this? Well, uh, right now we see that, uh, you're right, most Canadians indicate that they didn't want this election. Nevertheless, the election is underway, and we're seeing a tighter race than we expected at the beginning. Uh, the Liberals started out with uh, a sizable lead, and now that's dwindled, and now that we're in this neck-and-neck race. Uh, so what I'm seeing right now is that the federal leaders will need to try to shore up their voter base, uh, reinforce doubts that undecided voters may have about their opponents, and galvanize their supporters to vote. So uh, many have said because we are literally at a neck and neck race for the liberals and the conservatives that we're heading for a minority government. Do you think that is the case or could this be a scenario where uh, the polls will say one thing and by the time people get to or sorry, the the advance or sorry, the the polling will say one thing. But once people get to the voting box, they may change their minds. Your thoughts on whether what we're seeing now in the polling will be reflected on on Election Day. Right. I, I do think Canadians will elect a minority parliament, and although there is a potential for a lot of uh, people to change their minds between now and Election Day, there's always that potential for volatility in Canadian politics. Anywhere between 20 and 30 percent of Canadian voters make up their minds about who they're going to vote for in the last week. However, I think the polls have been pretty consistent uh, for the last few weeks that uh the, the race is really shaping up to uh, a race between the Liberals and the Conservatives. Uh, so now the question to me is, uh, what role will the NDP play? Will the NDP vote hold, or will some NDP voters defect and support the Liberals? We have certainly seen what's happened in Alberta in the last uh, 24, 48 hours. They're now declaring a, st a health state of emergency. Uh, the, uh, Jason Kenney has apologized for how his government has handled this. Will this make its way into the federal election? I mean, obviously, it's in the campaign now. Uh, but will this be a factor come voting day? I think it may play a factor in how some Albertans vote. It may flip a few seats over to the Liberals uh, in Alberta. But I don't think it's going to have an overall impact on the election results. So it may help the Liberals a little where they're competitive in the Edmonton area, where people are dissatisfied with Kenny's approach to handling the pandemic. But overall, I think uh, you know, the overall election will be determined in what goes on in the GTA, in Quebec, and the British Columbia mainland, and also Atlantic Canada to a certain extent. What about the rest of the country? Will this ripple it all through the rest of the country? The, the prime minister has, um, has uh, attempted to paint the, con you know, look, look at the conservative leaders and how the conservative provinces have handled that. Is this, will, will this play in other parts of Canada? 
I think it will play in, in Alberta and to Saskatchewan because, of course, both of those uh, provinces had more lenient uh, rules regarding masking and uh, restrictions on mobility during the pandemic, during the summer. But Ontario is in a different situation. Comparatively, it's doing better in terms of handling the fourth wave uh, because of the tougher restrictions that the uh, Ford government eventually brought in. So I don't think that what's happening in Alberta is necessarily going to hurt the Conservatives in Ontario, but it might hurt Conservatives in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, PPC party, Maxime Bernier leader, was in Hamilton today. How much of a factor will he play? Will he be a spoiler in this election? I think he may, and I, I don't think a lot of people would have predicted the beginning of the election that the PPC would uh, rise so much in voting intentions, but certainly in close races, and there are a number of them across the country where conservatives and liberals are neck and neck, uh, that the PPC could be a spoiler in those ridings and, and take some votes away from the conservatives. So I'm sure Aaron O'Toole is wishing that the PPC would go away. Many are wondering uh, what the main issues are in this election. Housing has uh, come up through the pack, uh, oddly enough. Your thoughts on how housing and affordability of housing has become an issue in this election? Well, I I agree that it is one of the top issues in the election, and that is because uh, people in urban centers across the country are feeling the crunch. It's difficult to... Uh, home ownership is increasingly unattainable for many people, particularly young people, and rental accommodation is extremely expensive. Uh, and this has really effectively shut out a lot of people from the dream of owning a home and, and forced a lot of people to look further afield for housing. So the, the parties, all of them, are, are rightly talking about the issue and making their pitch. Is this election what you thought it would be? Uh, many, uh, it seems that we're fighting more over the pandemic than we are anything. Yes. Um, well, I, I, I've said all along uh, that I didn't understand why the election was called in the first place. I, I felt that the timing was wrong. Uh, so I'm not surprised that Canadians are also asking the same questions and the question about why is this election being held right now uh, a big one in, in the election. Uh, but the saliency of that question will depend on who you, uh, where your partisan affiliations lie. So liberal voters might be less inclined to make that an issue compared to other issues, whereas conservative voters and NDP voters are going to put a higher priority on the question of whether the election should be called in the first place. Liviana Tassuti with us, professor of political science, Brock University, giving us her take with four days left in the campaign. Liviana, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Take care. Vehicles pitching downrange. And there you have it. Uh, the launch of SpaceX and the beginning of civilians in space. Uh, this is unbelievable when you think about it. Good afternoon. It is 421. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. All right. You know, this is uh, a little different because we saw a, a few weeks ago when a couple of billionaires and uh, Elon Musk's rocket took off into space and people were uh chastising them you know this isn't the time to be doing this you know this is affluence at work this is not science and now we have a another spacex launch in which a complete the the entire crew is civilian they're amateur astronauts per se they're not professional astronauts Uh, obviously they've had some training but nowhere near uh what a professional astronaut has And the four of them are up in space, buzzing around right now above the International Space Station. Let's bring in Paul Delaney, professor of astronomy, York University. He is with us now. Paul, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am indeed, Scott. Glad to be with you. So I'm watching you and a report on TV talking about all of this, and you said something along the lines of this is one of the most exciting things that you've seen. Man, we have talked about so much stuff on this show with you, Paul. What is it about this launch that is so exciting for you? I guess it's because I can see myself as one of those astronauts. As you said, they're amateur astronauts. They're not professional. They're rank-and-file individuals whose training is no more sophisticated than you or I, really. And now they are in orbit. Albeit, you've got to have a price tag 
and financial resources, you know, to, to be a part of it. But putting that aside, they have no more training than you or I. And so this is a huge step forward for opening up not just space tourism, but the commercialization of low Earth orbit. To me, it, it really is a big deal. It's what I read about with Arthur C. Clarke 60 years ago. It's mm. what I'd hoped was going to happen shortly after the Apollo moon landing. It's taken us a little bit to get here, but we're finally here. You know, I remember watching uh, docs on the on the uh, on the space shuttle series and such, and 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 when they started taking civilians in space uh, and and whatnot, the stress was this is still dangerous. How dangerous is this, Paul? Well, it is still dangerous. It's it's certainly not as uh, safe as air travel. But let's use that as the analogy. You know, air travel wasn't exactly the best mode of uh, uh, transportation back in the 40s and the 50s. Mm. Yet today, it has matured to the point where I don't think anybody thinks twice about jumping on a plane and flying anywhere on the planet. The same sort of thing is happening here. The Falcon 9 has become a very reliable vehicle. We've had like, you know, two failures in 130-odd launches or thereabouts. Uh, It's only going to get better. But at the moment, it is still risky. I mean, there is no question that you're sitting on top of a huge amount of energy, effectively a bomb, that you're channeling that energy to get you into Earth orbit. That is dangerous. We only have to think back to the shuttles uh, that we lost during you know, the previous 30 years. But nonetheless, the maturity of this technology is coming along, in my opinion, in leaps and bounds. And so I don't think the Inspiration4 crew thought twice about launching on the Falcon 9. They would have had grins from ear to ear with great confidence in the vehicle that was underneath them. So what's the itinerary for this crew? Because they're up for a few days. They're up for a total of three days, weather permitting on landing. Uh, you know, the landing site, of course, if weather is poor, they could stay on, up in orbit for an extra couple of days if the need arises. But the nominal flight plan calls for three days, uh, a return to Earth near the Gulf of Mexico on Sunday. Uh, in that three days, let's face it, this is a private uh, tourist-type flight. You know, you know, they're going to be enjoying the experience in large measure, taking photographs of themselves, of the Earth and so on. There is certainly some science that is going to be done. There is uh, activity associated with St. Jude's Hospital. This is a big fundraiser for them. Potentially $200 million is going to go uh, to the hospital in the form of donations and so on. They've got um, news conferences with the St. Jude's crowd. So there's a mix of business and pleasure over these three days. But let's face it, it is primarily a tourist flight. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of negativity around the other flights uh, with the billionaires. Not so much this one. You think because of the charity angle of this with St. Jude's? Uh, certainly, that is part of it. I mean, you know, I, I didn't buy into the the criticism of Branson and um, uh, Bezos' flights either. I mean, they've been working towards those endeavors for the better part of thirteen years. They've invested literally billions of dollars to give access to low Earth orbit, not just to people, but to commercial entities. And it's the commercial entities that are going to carry the day here. Space tourism is almost a side venture. But uh, with the, the, the SpaceX flight today, I think people can see a whole lot more activity in orbit. I mean, the low Earth orbit, um, you know, suborbital stuff that uh, Branson and Beza did was up and back, and you really yeah. didn't have much of a chance to do anything. Uh, whereas when you're going into orbit, now you have the opportunity to not only conduct long-range scientific experiments, human biology experiments, the opportunity for you to dock with, say, for example, a private space station, a space hotel, to be able to take any number of ventures into low Earth orbit and leave them up there for long periods of time for all sorts of both commercial and scientific benefits. What SpaceX has been able to achieve over the last few years, and particularly with the flight yesterday, is giving us a permanent presence in Earth orbit, if that's what we want. So what are the accommodations like? Eating, sleeping, privacy, what's this like? <laughs> well, not much of any of that, I'm afraid. I mean, let's face it, if, if, if you grabbed a pretty big bedroom and put your three best friends with you for three days, that's, that's what it. we're talking about. Okay, uh, so no, there's not a whole lot of privacy, uh, but you go into this knowing full well that, you know, the crew, the passengers with you have become very good friends and you are going to be spending a lot of, um, shall I say, intimate moments <laughs> in that period of time. So 
that is the, the downside of just staying on board Dragon. When you go to the International Space Station and there is a, a crew of tourists planning to go to the ISS next year, then you're going to a five-bedroom hotel. That's sort of like a resort by comparison. But Dragon is a little small. It's certainly bigger than the Apollo uh, spacecraft, but it is still nonetheless pretty darn small. Pretty exciting. Paul Delaney with us, Professor of Astronomy, York University, SpaceX, launching civilians in space. They'll be up there for a couple of days. Paul, thanks for the time. Be well. You're welcome, Scott. Cheers. Forget about his two cents. Scott has an entire vault filled with opinions. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. It is now clear that we were wrong, and for that, I apologize. The premier admits the move from pandemic to endemic was premature. But Jason Kenney later clarified that his apology is specific to that. He's not apologizing for removing restrictions. I think what we were doing in, in July uh, has, uh, has, was necessary uh, and it was uh, justified with the numbers. Kenney says he was too enthusiastic but still can't justify what he calls permanent lockdown-style policies and stands by that decision. Jeff Smith, Global News. Very odd, you know, uh, I was watching this uh, news conference uh, yesterday because it was later in the day, and um, it, it was a big to-do because Alberta has declared a health state of emergency, and they started talking about all their restrictions and the protocol that they were going to p- put in place, and it's it's Ontario. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, it's what we've been living for the last uh, 78 uh, weeks, a uh, year and a half, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and it's odd that, uh, unfortunately, Alberta had to find itself in the position it did where, you know, before it, it even starts getting the protocol back to where it was, uh, where it should have been uh, long ago and where the other provinces have been. And now, unfortunately, uh, with Stampede opening up and, and uh, just, I guess, the messaging uh, that has come across, Alberta still not getting enough vaccinated and it is starting to cripple their health system. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert and advisor medical doctor he is with us now Ahmad thanks so much for the time good to talk to you again I hope you're well thanks Scott Alberta obviously in a state of emergency uh, I guess we can't surprise I can't be surprised we sort of saw this coming the big question is uh, we're, we're seeing them implement policy now which seems very similar to what other provinces have been doing for quite a while is there any chance that Ontario could find itself in the same spot that Alberta is right now I mean, we, we did alarm or raise the alarm that Alberta's uh, early removal of restrictions or summer is back on. I, I, I'm not quite sure what the phrasing they used then, but that it was too premature, that it was going to lead to an increase in the numbers. And that's exactly what ended up happening. So if we give the audience an example, Scott, as of today or as of yesterday, Alberta had 1,609 cases of COVID-19. Ontario, as of today, had 864 cases of COVID-19. As long as our case numbers remain under 1,000, I think we should be okay. However, the neat case numbers continue to increase uh, and our ICU beds continue to fill up, then we might be looking at a similar situation. However, we must remind everybody that we didn't have as much of an extreme liftoff of measures as Alberta did. Ontario more so went gradual with increasing vaccination rates day by day uh, and aggressive vaccination campaigns across the province. So that should play a factor, although time will only tell really whether we're going to be heading towards more stricter restrictions. So in Alberta, is this about a lack of vaccination or a drop in protocol reopening too soon? It's a combination of both. And so we've said this all along that you cannot just you know ramp up vaccination or increase vaccination rates without some sort of public health interventions that are in place to allow the vaccines to take their time to take effect. And what I mean by that is that, you know, until we get enough people vaccinated, we can't just say, oh, you no longer have to wear face masks. You can gather in large gatherings uh, without social distancing. You're sort of fighting a battle against a virus that doesn't care that you want to go back to normal life. And so what you're trying to do here is put best case scenario forward. And best case scenario is to continue practicing some measures of public health interventions in place. So we're not talking here about a full shutdown. We're talking about what Ontario is currently doing, which is uh, mandating face masks, uh, introducing the continuing to uh, put in place the social distancing and increasing the vaccination rates within the province.
And it's interesting, you know, listening to Alberta yesterday, uh, they're going to obviously implement a masking policy in school, but it's mm-hmm. it's for kids grade four and above, which just seems bizarre when you think of where Ontario is. Um, are the numbers, obviously there's a vaccination rate uh, issue here as well. How much below the average do we know Alberta is? Is it, obviously, they're, I, I think they're the least vaccinated province. Um, but how much behind the rest of Canada are they? Is, is it really that much or it just doesn't take much in order to have the numbers they do? Well, I think what they're happening with Alberta is that they were not able to get enough people fully vaccinated in time to prevent the current situation they're in now. Uh, I think what ended up happening is that the false alarm they sent the public to in, in Alberta that, you know, you could go back to resume to, to normal life might have played a factor in people actually getting vaccinated, which helps to explain the rate of vaccination compared to the rest of the country. Are you concerned about interprovincial travel and what's happening in Alberta spreading? That's been a concern throughout the pandemic. It's not specific to Alberta. It's specific to the entire country. I mean, this is the reason why we've been calling for a pan-Canadian policy on COVID-19 because You know, we don't live in borders within the provinces. We are freely mobile between one province to another. So what happens in Alberta, what happens in British Columbia, does affect everybody in Canada. Uh, And especially that would increase travel. I mean, you're hearing reports about our airports being fully, uh, you know, back to normal occupancy. You're hearing flights being fully booked, which means people are back to traveling throughout the country. And so... There is this concern that, you know, if one province has out of control numbers, it will have a spillover effect on the other provinces. However, the saving grace here for Ontario is our vaccination rate. And also, I think that, you know, as vaccination rates increase or hopefully increase in Alberta, that might not be an issue. The bigger problem remains is that whether we're going to be presented with a new variant that will be highly transmissible and that will cause a new challenge. Uh, Dr. Tam, back giving uh, news conferences on COVID-19 and seems concerned about the rising numbers as well. Yes, I think the rising in numbers have been something we're all watching very closely, especially with the schools being reopened. I think that's something we need to keep a close eye on. And I suspect, Scott, I mean, this is this is only a speculation here, that I don't think we're going to go back. I mean, the hope is that Ontario will not go back to full reopening like nothing's ever happened, that we will continue to do this gradual approach to make sure that we don't go back to a full lockdown. I think uh, if you speak to most Ontarians, we're really enjoying the relaxation of the measures that we were under before. And so the last thing I would like to see is that uh, I, the last thing I would want to see is to us to go back to a full lockdown. Uh, here we are finishing off the second week of school. So far, so good. Or still, do we rem- is it, do we have to wait to to see what is going to happen with the return of school? But so far, it seems pretty good. Is that premature, doctor? I think it's a little bit premature, only for the reason that we are hearing of cases being outbreaks within schools uh, throughout the, the province. However, I think what will be the the, the determining factor here is when the temperatures drop and it becomes colder again. I'm keeping my eye out on that. I think we're still sort of in warmer temperatures. Kids are still playing outdoors. Uh, And so, you know, when it gets colder and people are more indoors, are we going to see a rise in numbers? Uh, That's going to be the determining factor for now. Dr. Ahmad Khalid with us, health policy expert and advisor, medical doctor, talking about COVID-19 and where we are and it rearing its ugly head in Alberta. Doctor, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Same to you, Scott. Thank you. Poll question of the day. Are you surprised where Hamilton is as far as um, their place in those getting vaccinated uh, in the city? And 70, uh, 71% are not surprised at where we are. Again, uh, you know, it's a very diverse city. It takes a while to get into all the corners. I'm not sure we're that far behind, uh, but certainly something like that does make uh, news headlines, as does uh, the PPC party and its leader, Maxime Bernier, who were in Hamilton today. Uh, also on the air this morning with uh, Rick Zamperin on Good Morning Hamilton. Rick asked about the anti-vaxxers and the white uh, nationalists that are showing up and if uh, Maxime Bernier wanted those people there. First, I think you're not right. I don't know if you were at our rally yesterday, but it's all people that want to live in a free country, people that are freedom, that believe in freedom of choice. We are not anti-vax, we are not anti-mask, we are for freedom of choice. Everybody must be able to decide 
with the right information if they want to have the vaccine or not. That's the position of our, of our party, and we always uh, fought for that. So that being said, you know, people, do, people who don't share our values are not welcome in our party, and, and, and they're not. It's because they don't know our platform. All right, let's bring in Ken Mann, reporter with Global News Radio 900 CHML, was at the rally today uh, with PPC leader Maxime Bernier. Ken, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am great, Scott. Thanks for that. So what? Uh, any difference between this rally and any other rally? What was it like? I mean, uh, not really. I mean, you get uh, people who are very supportive, of course, of the party and its message out for these rallies, and, and they show up and they cheer and they yell and they... And, you know, they chant and and they're all there for, for the same reason. Of course, the message is very different, as you just heard from Mr. Bernier, the personal choice uh, being the being the message he's putting out there. And that sells very well with, I'd say, the I, I've seen some estimates, 300 people for today's rally. I'd put the number maybe even a little bit higher than that uh, for 500 even perhaps. But it was it was peaceful. It was it was positive within within the group that, that he brought out. Are you surprised at the turnout they had? Uh, you know what? I'm really not, to be honest with you. Um, I, I've, I've I've been seeing a lot more of their signs lately, and uh, I feel like there's a certain segment of the population that their message and this this issue of personal freedom and personal choice is is front of mind and very much the top issue that they're going to vote on come Monday, or if they haven't already done so at the advance polls. All right. So, if you look out into the crowd, are uh, protesters, or are they just like look like average Canadians? Average Canadians, Scott. Average Canadians mm. with you know placards with obvious uh, uh, protest uh, message on them. But nonetheless, just yeah, you, you wouldn't uh, if you wouldn't pick this crowd out any differently from the others necessarily. That's interesting. Uh, on the show with Rick earlier this morning, uh, Bernier said that uh, he's not anti-vax, he's just pro-choice. Was that the message loud and clear today? That's right. The issue of personal freedom and personal choice as it relates to, to both vaccines and masking. And, and of course, his pledge to no more lockdowns is, is a big thing in his speeches as well. Uh, anything over the top that you would listen to and say you can't say that? That's not true. That's out of line. Uh, no, no. I, I mean, he mm. was he was pretty much on point. He didn't stray too much away from the uh, from the personal freedom aspect of the the party's platform. He did uh, talk a little bit about um, well, defunding the CBC is one of his uh, is one of his things. He went on uh, about that a fair bit. Uh, but uh, not too much on on other issues such as you know climate change and and other areas where uh, the, this party's positions are are very controversial and divisive among Canadians as well. Wow, Ken Mann with us, reporter with Global News Radio 900 CHML, following uh, PPC leader Maxime Bernier through Gage Park today and his impressions of that. Ken, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You're welcome, Scott. Take care. Diane Francis is going to join us, editor, editor at large, uh, in the Financial Post. You can also read her in the uh, National Post as well. But the headline just a day ago, Maxime Bernier and his anti-vax super spreader party don't deserve your vote. Worse, Bernier may be siphoning votes away from the Conservatives, the only responsible alternative to Trudeau's socialist status freight train. Uh, that is Diane Francis' latest article in the Financial Post, and she is with us now. Diane, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, Earlier today, Maxime Bernier was uh, in Hamilton and and had a rally there. He said on our radio station that he's not an anti-vaxxer, he's not anti-mask, he's pro-choice. What's your response to that? Well, he bragged uh, bragged on a Zoom call to me that he didn't have a vaccination, didn't think he needed one. So I don't know how many people came to the rally. Uh, They said there was about 300, 400 people there. That's 300 people that'll be uh, testing positive in a month. What do you think? I mean, it's irresponsible for people not to get vaccinated. I'm sorry, I just do. No, I agree with you 100%. I think everybody should be vaccinated. Why is uh, this party gaining ground, do you think? Well, he's, 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 he's discovered a little rich, uh, a little rich or mind body. And it's called, you know, uh, Canadian people who are extremists 
who think they're Republicans in the United States and watch Fox TV too much. That's who his followers are. And that's the tone and tenor of the way they behave. Look at those rallies. They throw gravel. I mean, it's pathetic. It's adolescent. They had to fire one of their writing chairmen for, for throwing gravel at the prime minister. I mean, really. And, you know, they shout. They have signs. They use bad language. I mean, this is not America. This is Canada. Do you think that there are extremists that are just latching on to this party, that those are some uh, issues that perhaps the party doesn't stand behind? Uh, it could be. I don't know. But it seems that that's the kind of people they have that turn out. The Tories don't have crowds like that. Uh, it was interesting when I was interviewing Aaron O'Toole a few weeks ago, prior actually prior to the election being called, and we were chatting about the center, the middle, and how it seemed that everybody was on the extremes. And I remember actually saying to him, I thought the win was in the middle, uh, and, and he said, that's us, we're the center. I'm not sure if that was great advice or, or, or what have you back then, but obviously he has brought, meaning Aaron O'Toole has brought the Conservative Party more to the center. Uh, did you anticipate? Anticipate the PPC would take up the right, the extreme right, the way they have. Well, that's the extreme right. I mean, Bernier's always been out there, you know, with his real kind of Republican views. Look, I'm an American and I'm a Canadian. I was born in the States. I still have a passport. I, I spent all my adult life in Canada, okay, and I have a passport. And I want to tell you, people don't understand the difference between a Canadian conservative and a Republican. Yeah. There's no similarity whatsoever. We are much more to the left of the United States as a whole. Aaron O'Toole is very much moderate. He's in the middle. I mean, there's a lot of people in Alberta and Saskatchewan who are a little more extreme than, than he is and, and would want things to be done differently. So he's, he's in the middle in terms of, of you know, the 905-416 Quebec uh, conservative voter and the Alberta conservative voter. But, you know, nonetheless, I think he's sensible. I think he's... He's, he's got the middle line. I don't like the extremes on either side. And by the way, I think our prime minister is an extremist. I think he's radical beyond what most Canadians really like. I think he's become completely NDP on steroids. Mm. I think he's a socialist. I think he's a globalist. And I don't think he cares about our resource industry or about anything except his reputation internationally. And so I think he is an extremist just as much as Bernier. And I think the Tories are the only only party to vote for. How much will Mike, uh, will Maxime Bernier steal from the Conservatives at the election box? What does Aaron O'Toole have to do to stop that from happening? Well, Aaron O'Toole can't do anything about that. If people want to do that, it looks like he's registering like 5% or something. I don't know how, where the, how that's... But it's, if it's sprinkled all over the country, he's not going to get a writing. If it's concentrated in the boats in Quebec, where he's from, he may get a seat. And I wouldn't object to that. I think it's okay to have these five percent of Canadians that feel that way. I mean, that's as many. That's more than there are in the Green Party who who believe in the Green Party. So I suppose they have voted, You know, they deserve a seat or two in the House. But you know, as far as I just hope that as things you know in really close writings, uh, that you know his his followers or the Green Party or the NDP don't don't tilt it one way or the other. To me. This is a choice of either you have the status quo with this with this young man who has no credentials to run a country, or you vote for a man who, a boy, I would say, who runs the country, or you vote for a man who's in the military, who's a successful lawyer, and is a, is a solid citizen, and is smart as a whip, and has is, is got the right idea, and he's moderate. Last question, Diane. I can't let you go without asking you your thoughts in Alberta. Obviously, declaring a health state of emergency. Uh, Jason Kenney has apologized how they have handled uh, the COVID-19 situation. Is this going to hurt Aaron O'Toole's chances? Uh, not not in Alberta. I mean, people in Alberta. What about across the country? No, I don't think that. It's, this is about the way that the provincial premier handled things. And I think he... His mistake, uh, I happen to be in Calgary right now, his mistake was to say, oh, the summer's here, we're all going to be fine. I mean, he took a view, which he hadn't any scientific basis to take, and I think his health minister wasn't, you know, or his health uh, people weren't, weren't 100% behind it, but he just decided, stampede, enough of this already, let's do it. And so he did it. But other provinces didn't do that. 
Uh, and, you know, every every province is operating differently. So, listen, you've had NDP governments elected in Alberta, and they always vote Tory federally. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, what do you expect to see in the last couple of days of this campaign? Uh, I don't know. I think, well, a lot more of them on TV. Uh, you know, gloves off maybe a little bit more uh, as, as Trudeau gets desperate. Which I hope he'll be desperate because I hope he'll be he'll know he's losing. Um, you know he'll get he'll get he'll, he'll try to uh, you know label label every Canadian conservative as a an American Republican who's anti-vaxxing who wants to get rid of public health. I mean public health system. What a what a stupid allegation to make. There's not there's nobody in the conservative party who, who wants to get rid of the public health system. That's crazy. There's no Canadian that wants to. There may be a few crazy people, but so you know he may start to keep trying to do that nonsense. Um, I don't think he's going to fool anybody. I think we have to wait. I think it's definitely a contest, and it definitely will be close. Um, and you know, I just I just really hope that we don't get Trudeau again because he will double down and be even worse and more extreme and radical than he's already been. Diane Francis with us, editor-at-large in the Financial Post. The current article, Maxime Bernier and his anti-vax super spreader party doesn't deserve your vote. You can see it in the Financial Post. Diane, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, so uh, it's time. It's our countdown to Ted. Of course, Ted announced that uh, he doesn't like us anymore. He's, he's leaving us, doesn't want to participate in the radio game anymore. 90 and, days. And, and going to retire. 90, 90 days. 90 days. From Isn't there a song there? Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, got to find it, yeah. Uh, uh, one of the things that you've done of late, and, uh, well, it's probably been going on a lot more than uh, than we realize, uh, is the, uh, the health and wellness show. I want you to talk a bit about that because I know this is a very passionate thing for you, and you're going to keep doing it i might yeah, add after I am. Yep. after retirement you know you do these shows and it's, it's great to be a part of yeah and this all started several years ago um when i was um when the show was called wellness wednesdays it, mm-hmm. it, that's how how it got started and how it got started one day and i tell the story is out for a training run with a friend of mine who worked at st joe's in the wellness department actually had her on the show but anyway we started talking about various things and i you know she knew that i was doing a lot of uh physical stuff on the and i said you know i i want to combine a show that uh or do a show that combines mental health and physical health and she actually on the run stopped in her tracks and i kept going and i turned around as what did you hurt yourself what's my she goes i've been waiting <laughs> she said i've been waiting 15 years for a series like this because mm. i think that there was again some sort of a personal tie-in from that seed you know i went to uh, our program director jeff story and you know the nice thing about our place is you don't have to send an email you just go hey jeff so yep. you walk in, you know, you're, you're, you're 10 feet away, walk in, and I said, I got an idea for a program. From that, it happened. Uh, the show uh, was instantaneous almost the way it took off. Uh, got an award in Ottawa from the Governor General, which is not what this is all about. But from that, that's morphed into the health and wellness show now. And um, so this is why I will continue to do it uh, after uh, full-time retirement. Talk a little bit about the stigma and how this has changed since you started doing How long have you been doing this now for? Uh, since uh, I won the, oh, geez, I don't know, seven, eight, seven years, something like that. So Okay, so obviously you've got a few years under your belt. Talk about the stigma and how that has changed, how we chat about this more than we did before. And pandemic, I'm sure, has helped all that. Well, we're trying, and, and of course the issue now is uh, when the pandemic finally, finally, you know, comes to whatever end it comes to the people that i've had on the show the experts are all saying you know that there is going to be uh, a shock wave where a lot of people that are suffering now are going to suffer more it's going to kind of manifest itself down the road but the thing that i've noticed over the last several years is we have kind of broken the stigma people are talking more openly about what they're going through and and it was interesting when i first started this show and i'd walk around you know the halls of the station and, and you know talk to people about it and they say oh go talk to so-and-so because they're on this medication for anxiety or talk ted to- became ted be, sort of became like the uh hallway counselor at our place 
Yeah, I just kind of because everybody knew he was into it. Yeah, so uh, and they all told me, you know, go talk to this person, go talk to, to that person, and my line is, we all have something. You just don't know who's going through what. So when you say to somebody, how are you? Say it like you mean it. Don't just say, you know, throw it away. Just how are you? And that's how I met you, Ted. You you had me on your show before I even worked here. That's right. Yeah. Because I read one of Diana's blogs and it was, it was really eye opening. And I sent her the invite and she came in on the show and, uh, you know, did was a great guest, which I knew she was, and that's kind of how it started as well. So she too knows um, about the program and how passionate I am about it. It's awesome. It's amazing how uh, the the uh, global pandemic has changed people's attitudes. It's really, uh, for some of us, really prioritized what's important, what isn't, and it's made us look inward. And I'm sure that is is fueling this discussion as well. Well, you know, uh, there are people who um, are introverts that like being away from work and they can work from home, work remotely, and they don't really care uh, if they come back to the their workplace or not. But I think those are rare um, cases because the people I talk to, everybody is missing the social aspect of yeah. work. Ev- everybody's yeah. missing, you know, gr- people. you know, people. Yeah. yeah and yeah. not not being able to see somebody and, you know, talk about whatever and give them a hug, I think it's affecting people's mental health more than maybe they let on. So hopefully when all this is over, uh, we can continue the discussion. And if somebody is suffering from uh, from whatever, then we'll know why. But again, be nice to people. This is the one thing I think we've learned that maybe it's fallen by the wayside a bit. Just be a little nicer and more considerate to people and we'll be uh, much better off. Well said. When is the Health and Wellness Show? Tell everybody real quick. Saturdays at 7 o'clock here on 900 CHML. All right, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator, and is on uh, after the 6 o'clock news and is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am doing as well as anyone could expect. How are you? I'm I'm quite excited over the uh, the outdoor game being played at uh, Tim Hortons Field. I am, although uh, you know, don't start getting on me like Ted, because Ted's like, yeah, I, I asked Ted, are you going? And he goes, no, because the Flyers aren't playing. And it's like <laughs> it's not about your favorite team playing; it's about the event. Although I think, considering Hamilton's history with NHL teams and trying to get them, this is really just a big tease for us. But what are your thoughts? Well, okay, let's talk about that for a second. Is there not some sort of deep almost gut-stabbing irony here that yeah. the two teams yeah. that are going to be playing are Toronto and Buffalo. The two yeah. Hamilton doesn't have an NHL team, theoretically. Yeah, the two I mean, teams that are, are keeping a team out of here. Yep, absolutely. Uh, that won't stop people from going, and, and I don't blame them. It's going to be exciting. These things are exciting. I, I, I believe that the outdoor game thing has been so overdone that the NHL has just taken the golden goose and strangled it to the point where it can't lay any more eggs, but um, in the local markets where the games are held. Like, I'm not going to tune in to watch a game now in Colorado or a game in Arizona or a game in Chicago. Yeah. I don't care. But the, we keep hearing that the, in the local markets where the games are played, they are still raging enormous success stories. So that's great. That's exciting. That'll be fun. Uh, my one hope, Scott, and, and I, you know, my fingers are crossed on this one, uh, here's my prediction on what's going to happen. Everyone who is a hockey fan in Hamilton is really excited, and I'm going to get a ticket, and I'm going to go, and all this stuff. And then they're going to come out with the ticket prices, and people are going to go, they're gouging us. I'm not going to spend 300 bucks. <laughs> hey, this is, this is what it is. This is yeah. a money maker. This is an economic thing. So be excited, but I would be shocked if the tickets for this are not going to be at the point where people are going to lose their minds. A sellout? I mean, it'll be a sellout, will it not? Sure, it will. Sure, it will. Because yeah, look, they yeah. sold out uh, the um, in in uh, Michigan in Ann Arbor, uh, the big house. You know, one hundred and ten thousand. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, no, that was Detroit. Uh, but you know, still, it's um, yeah. I, I don't see how it couldn't be a sellout because we're still close enough to Toronto. Think of all the people who always want to get Leaf tickets and never can. So, oh, yeah. you know, even if it's not for the outdoor game, even if the out, even if you played this somewhere else, indoors, the opportunity for all those people who can never get their hands on Leaf tickets, this is their chance. So, um, yeah, I, I, this is an easy sellout, I would think. Easy. Unless, so, unless the prices are so out of whack that yeah. people say it, then people rebel. But they'll push them to the very limit, but I think it'll be a sellout. 
So why Hamilton? Because uh, we let Americans in. Uh, why, why are they choosing Hamilton? Uh, why not? I mean, look, we have the stadium. They could do it at uh, BMO Field. Because obviously, yeah, but the point the point is, hopefully you will draw fans from south of the border as well. And again, we're letting Americans up that have been fully vaccinated. So obviously there'll be a, a split in, in the fans. I mean, we will be get, getting people up from the States to go to this. You know, it's March, um, September to October, November, December, January, February. We're six months or half a year away, almost to the date. Who knows what will be going on by that point, whether we're even going to be talking about COVID or whether we're only going to be talking about COVID. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Scott, you and I both know doing these shows, um, you wake up in the morning thinking you're going to talk about something and things pivot and all of a sudden you're talking about something completely different because something's happened. I, I Who knows if that's going to be an issue or if it's going to be the only issue. But that, that's another one we're going to find out. So why not do this in Toronto or Buffalo? Toronto is a little bit trickier. I suppose you could do it. Uh, well, where's the facility? You could do it at BMO Field. I have no idea what yeah. the reason is that they're not doing it there. Um, the NHL has tried recently. Lord knows with the Lord knows with the breeze coming in off the lake, it certainly will be cool enough. Yeah, and you could. I mean, I suppose you could try to do it at Rogers Center. Although I think that you know that one. Um, I don't know. If you're going to see anything? Maybe you're not going for. And, and they don't really open the roof in the winter anyway for the dome so that's not a yeah so it really is it's sort of if you're looking for the stadium that's big enough it's bmo field or tim hortons field and the nhl has you know last year when they did the one at um lake louise was it lake louise they did it at last year um not lake louise uh what was what's the one in states in, in uh, colorado no 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 it was down in the states anyway um, <laughs> lake tahoe it was lake tahoe lake tahoe, lake tahoe. thank you yes that lake. was very cool but that's so that i mean these these sort of uh, neutral site games is kind of one of the things they're doing now because you know they i guess they the the belief is that it broadens interest i don't know how you can bump more hockey interest into hamilton into southern ontario yeah, i don't really. think that's really what this is about but maybe they just know that they can sell tickets for a whole lot of money here all right really quick uh ty cats uh, not mazzoli for this weekend for tomorrow no still injured and no brandon banks and um and a calgary team uh, that um you know, has not been very good, but mm, so it, it, this is a this is one of those ones that's a, that who knows who knows what you're going to get. I mean, I, I still expect Hamilton to win, but um, you know, who knows? It's uh, it's a bit of a mystery mystery meat for tomorrow is what we're going to have. It's the old it's the old school lunch. Who knows what's under that bun? Now, can you get that mystery meat on a charcuterie board, or what's the deal? Is that just a deli platter thing? All right, well, isn't isn't all charcuterie board mystery meat? It is. I've never seen that before. Uh, what, who's on the show tonight, real quick? We are going to be talking election stuff, obviously. We're going to be talking about the outdoor game. Uh, I want to point out one other thing, though. Filling in tomorrow morning for Bill Kelly, and uh, tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., uh, Justin Trudeau is going to be joining us on the air. So if, uh, if you're interested in the election, you may want to tune in for that. What? You've got Justin Trudeau. He doesn't want to come on our show. I have huge sway within the liberal halls of power scott <laughs> oh i've got a great line for coming <laughs> off of that but i won't i will send you a list of questions tonight that he won't yeah. answer they asked me is ted michaels going to be near the show and i said no and i said fine well come on <laughs> all right scott radley uh host of the scott radley show tonight filling in for bill kelly tomorrow and has got the prime minister pretty good for a fill-in guy uh scott have a great time tonight thanks so much for the time be well thanks scott all right, it is uh, 5.57. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks to Ted and Diana and Lisa and Will for all contributing today. Uh, coming up next, it's uh, the Scott Radley Show. Hang on for that. News at the top of the hour as well. Until then, we will leave you. Uh, our next flight, I guess, uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock. We will leave you with the last word as, uh, I is it Jim? Jim gets up on top of the CHML soapbox and gets it off his chest. Hey, it's Jimmy from Hamilton. I'm locked outside of my apartment. What can these leaders do for me? Huh?